Well, it is a joy to be back with you today. Um, Adrian and I had a wonderful time celebrating our 25th anniversary, which actually isn't till Tuesday. But due to how the church calendar falls, you got to take what opportunities you have. And so the first week of June was the best time to try and get away. And uh, I believe it had been seven or eight years since we had been able to do that, just the two of us. And uh, we did try back in November, but that was when God called Grayson home. And we were heading to Billings and got the call that morning, I believe, that uh, God had called him home. And, and some of you may be thinking, but why Billings? Well, we live in Rapid City. Where are you going to go? Amen. You can't go anywhere that's... Anyway, that was the closest. And, and listen, if we go anywhere, you can bet Adrian's got food on her mind. And, but hold on. But there's a Cracker Barrel in Billings. I know, honey, but that's the reason we head in that direction. See what I've been having to deal with for the last week? And I can tell you, who wants to drive five and a half hours east and still be in the same state? So you drive west, amen? Thank you for the time away. Thank you. I flew Adrian down. I drove down by myself. <laughs> uh, it was good to unplug, unwind. And uh, most of all, I just want to say thank you for being respectful of our time while we were away. Uh, it was very refreshing. But it's always good to get back to South Dakota. And I mean that. It's always good to be back in South Dakota, to be back in this state, to be back in our home church. The beach is great to visit. But it's wonderful to be back in the drier air. Yes. Yes. Brother Dreyer said, drier is always better. <laughs> and to be back in the freest state in the union. Amen. I say amen right there. Listen, we're blessed to be living where we are right now. I, I have been blessed to travel through 33 states ever since COVID started. In August, if the, Lord's, if the Lord wills, I'll add a 34th to that list. I'll be traveling Hawaii, Lord willing. Not with my wife. My wife's only worthy of Texas, but Adam Jones. Adam Jones gets the best trips. Uh, he's taken me to Hawaii. Now, that sounds really strange, doesn't it? You think that's strange, you ought to see the travel itinerary that says who's in the same room. Yeah. Anyway, we'll just leave it there. And so, it seems like every year Adam earns a trip with his company, and uh, this year, they're going to Hawaii. They've done that several times. But for Carissa, it can be a painfully long flight due to her physical ailments. And by the time she gets to feeling better after she's been there, it's almost time to leave and restart the whole painful process again. And so, y'all have already been several times, I think, at least twice, yeah. And um, I don't think she golfs, brother. So you need to bring somebody that can golf. Amen. And uh, I'm, I'm a way better golfer than Adam. Um, when we went to Costa Rica... Anyway, we'll just leave it there. And so Adam asked if I would like to go. Now, listen, I do try to limit my time away. Um, I want you to understand that. But listen, folks, we're talking about a free trip to Hawaii. What would you say? Well, i got to be at church. <laughs> going to Hawaii. Listen, just embrace the blessing. Embrace it. And when you're ready to buy my own personal jet for us to get there, embrace it. Amen. Hey, there's a nut in Atlanta getting his church to do that for him. Yeah, Creflo Dollar. Amen. Anyway, uh, I guess you never trust a preacher with the last name of Dollar. Well, listen, we had some great speakers while we were gone, and I know you were blessed. 
Um, it just the Lord worked that out to where those men were in town while we were away. And I felt that Micah Schultz was definitely of the Lord to give that message that he gave right before we did Saturation Saturday. And the Holy Spirit led in all of that. I thought uh, Pastor Van Gelderen was going to be here, but it worked out for him to preach. And it was perfect. I mean, I just thought it was great. And then Pastor Herring will never disappoint. And if you didn't like Sunday, then you just don't like the Lord. Amen. Uh, several of you did let me know what a blessing it was that those men were here to preach. And one even asked if Pastor Herring and I could switch churches because he's so much better of a pastor. And uh, I'm just kidding. Nobody said that. Uh, you may have been thinking it, but I'm glad you didn't say it. And, um, but anyway, he, he does a wonderful job. And uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that they were both willing to minister to us while they were on their trips. And uh, what a blessing. But now since we're back and... Now that it's a Sunday morning, that can only mean one thing. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of John. <laughs> We've been saying that for four and a half years, and we are now ready to start the last chapter. John chapter 21. Because this is our first day in this chapter, I would like to read the entirety so that I can give some opening remarks about this chapter before we get to today's message. John chapter 21, the Bible says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast thy net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciple came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net uh, drew the net to land full of great fishes, 153. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, and girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest, 
But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? (laughs) Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen and amen. This is a great chapter, amen? But it's kind of an odd chapter in a sense because it looks like it's out of place. When you look at the synoptic gospels and we see how just as John did in the previous chapter, he gives the great commission. And then those last two verses there in John chapter 20 sounds like, man, that's a great place to end this. Ends just like the other gospels do. But then we get this chapter. Notice how verse 20, uh, chapter 20 ends. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Isn't that a great way just to go ahead and close out the book? And yet we have chapter 21. Why? Well, obviously the Holy Spirit said so. Amen. This is a Holy Ghost inspired book. And so the Holy Ghost inspired the writer to continue into this chapter. And that's really enough to satisfy any curiosity we may have. But we can see now that there are several reasons why chapter 21 is here. It brings attention to the bodily resurrection of Christ yet again. We see this is the third time that He appeared. Listen, what happened in chapter 20 was not a fluke. They didn't eat too much pizza. Amen. Uh, They didn't drink too much Coca-Cola at night. But they actually saw the risen Lord. It was not a ghost. It was not a figment of their imagination. Jesus had risen from the dead. And we get another instance of that here in this chapter that Jesus did in fact rise again. And it's not some ghost that is preparing breakfast for them in chapter 21. And if these disciples were wondering, how are we going to be cared for? This chapter gives us that information. And we see that Jesus has a very uh, a keen eye. He, listen, he, he watches over His children. Amen. Let's say amen. I know it's hot in here, but I need you all to talk to me or else it's going to be miserable service. Amen. And so, listen, He watches over His children. We also see the reinstatement of Peter. We see how God was not done with Peter after Peter betrayed our Lord. Aren't you glad that God's not done with us even though we open up our mouths and say stupid things? And we see that Christ deals with Peter here. Instead of just Peter showing up on the day of Pentecost, preaching Christ, 3,000 being added unto the church, we see this wonderful exchange between Peter and our Lord. We learn from this chapter that a rumor had began to circulate that John was just going to keep living. Man, he's just going to live till the Lord comes back. Wouldn't that be something if he was still on the earth now? You know, here's John, he's 2,000. You know, welcome in. And uh, listen, that rumor started because somebody took something that was said wrong. 
that's a whole other message, I suppose, and I'll wait till we get later on in the chapter. But that, that rumor is done away with in this chapter. Uh, Jesus had also foretold of His death that He would see them in Galilee. And we get that in this chapter. We get the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. And their experience here in this chapter in Galilee is going to remind them of an earlier experience they once had in Galilee as well. And this is where they were first called by Jesus. And just like that time, they didn't catch anything either here the first attempt. This is going to remind them that they're to continue preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus had called them to be fishers of men, not fishers of fish. And finally, we get a small amount. Um, we, we get a reason why we only get a small amount of Jesus' life. You know, we really don't get that much. 33 and a half years upon this earth, we just glaze over his childhood, and then we just really get just a, a compact amount of days of Jesus' life in the Gospels. Why is that? Well, verse 25 tells us here, there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And so listen, He did so much that it's not all recorded because it would just take too much to record it all. And we just have to trust that what God gave us is what we need. And that's why we have what we have. And so while this chapter is seemingly out of place in how it closes different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it actually gives answers to some questions we may have had otherwise. And so we ought to be thankful we do have it. So we see in verse 1 that they're at the Sea of Tiberias. That is the same as the Sea of Galilee. We know this was a very important place in the life of Jesus' disciples. As I said, Jesus had foretold He would appear to them here in Galilee. We can surmise that at some point while they were in Jerusalem in the previous chapter that Jesus would have told them to go into Galilee. But we also know that before the day of Pentecost comes, Jesus is going to instruct them to return back to Jerusalem to wait to be endued with power from on high. In verse 2, we find seven of the eleven disciples are present this day on the shore of Galilee. And it is likely they're at the same location where Jesus first called them three and a half years earlier. And Simon Peter says in verse 1, I go a-fishing. And all the men said, Amen. And maybe some of the women, I don't know you, but uh, I go a-fishing. And it's at this point, I believe many of you have probably heard sermons where um, these disciples at Peter's bidding, they're turning back to their old way of life and they're essentially abandoning the life that Christ had called them to and but listen, let's not make the text say something it doesn't say. We do that very well, but we got to be careful about that. So why does Peter here say, I go a-fishing? And why don't the others, or why do the others follow him here? Well, if we're honest with the Scriptures, we're not told why they go fishing. Was this a desire to go back to their old life? Is this a return to their old profession and their old routines in life? Have they relaunch the boats that they had once forsaken? Because now they think that being a life of a fisherman is more appealing than being a life of fishers of men. Well, before we jump to conclusions, we need to take note of some things which may have led them to go fishing again. Listen, it could be as simple as Peter just didn't like to sit still. Amen. How many of you know those kind of guys? I just can't sit still. Amen. Did I hear somebody clear their throat up here in the front row? Amen. I mean, Peter might have just been like, I, you know, I'm go, I'm, I go a-fishing. And then the rest of them are like, okay, we can do that. 
Uh, there's some people, they just can't sit still for long. In our BC years, that I like to call them, before children, uh, Adrian and I like to go backpacking. And we would go backpacking, and sometimes we would go with her dad and his friend Donnie, and Donnie could never sit still. You know, you know what I'm talking about? We'd get into camp, and we'd set up, and we'd get the fire going, and we would just want to sit around and relax, and that's what three of us would do. And Donnie would be up exploring somewhere else. Never able to sit still. I got a spoon on my shelf in my home office that he carved while sitting around the fire because he couldn't just sit still. Some people are just like that is what I'm saying. And it's amazing how quick we are to jump to conclusions about somebody when we don't know. It could just be Peter can't sit still. Oh no, it's because he's a backslider. Is that what Jesus said to him? All right then. It's interesting that we just go off on Peter. Well... Anyway, this is going over pretty good so far. <laughs> Adrian mentioned how somebody asked her, are you going to be able to keep pastor still while we're on our trip? And she said, oh yeah, that's not going to be a problem. Listen, we, we had a great trip. You know what we did? Absolutely nothing. That's not an understatement. We woke up at the crack of 10. <laughs> made some coffee, went out on the porch till we finally said, man, I guess we should go eat supper. Go eat supper. <laughs> come back and sit on the porch again. That's literally what we did for like five days. Uh, it was glorious, amen? And so some people can sit around, some people can't. Maybe Peter was just one of those guys who decided, you know what, I, I just can't sit around and do nothing, so I'm going to get up and I'm going to go fishing. Maybe he's thinking, you know what, let's just go fishing until we know what to do next. I don't know, that's a possibility. But I believe it's more likely this. Let me give you my two cents for what that's worth. In the meantime, I believe they needed to make a living. Listen, when they walked with Jesus, don't forget that the ladies who followed Jesus supported them of their substance. Remember, we talked about that earlier. And so now that Jesus has been crucified, uh, He's been buried, I don't know how many know He has risen again yet. We don't, we're not giving all that. Maybe some of that began to change for them. And maybe all that support they once had isn't there any longer with this scandal that took place. We don't know all the details here, but it could just be that now that things have changed, they got to provide for their families. Maybe they're just in this state of limbo here where they're not quite sure what to do yet and all this. And so in the meantime, how are they going to provide food for their family? Well, they're going to work. Listen, don't, when Peter says, I go a fishing, don't get this idea that he went out to the, the shed and grabbed some fishing poles and his tackle, and they all got their bass boats together and their sunscreen, and they're just going out on the lake for a nice day of recreation. That's not what it means when it says, I go a fishing. This was hard work, amen? I mean, this was labor. And so when they're going out there going fishing, this isn't recreation fishing. This is business fishing. And so they're actually out there doing work. And let's not forget that the Bible says, if any man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. And so these men are going out to work. And actually, instead of rebuking these men, maybe we ought to take a step back and commend these men because they actually had a work ethic enough to get up and work and to provide for their families and to bring in sustenance that they would need. Listen, what they're actually doing, I believe, is I believe they're redeeming the time. Yeah, they were called to go and preach. But as of yet, that picture wasn't complete. And we'll see later on, well, actually, we'll see it in our Sunday night series. We're going to start going through the book of Acts that Jesus said to go, but you know what He said before you go? He said, tarry. He said, I want you to go to all the world and preach, but first, you're going to have to tarry in Jerusalem because you're going to have to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. 
And so there's a qualification before you go, but that's a whole other thing. And so, yeah, they were told to go, but there's also going to be this time where they have to tarry. And there may, listen, let me use this as an opportunity to tell you, if you find yourself in a position where you don't know exactly what to do, you don't know how to accomplish what God has called you to do yet, can I just tell you, stay busy. Listen, don't get lazy. Stay with what God has you doing in the meantime. There may, there may be times when we're in a holding pattern. And we're waiting for further instruction from the Lord. Use that time to be productive with what you do know how to do. Amen. Someone has said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. I believe that's probably true because most of us, when we're alone, we're bad company. And I'm simply saying, I don't think these men are way out of line for doing what they knew how to do to provide sustenance for them and their families. And some of you, God is going to call into the ministry one day. But until that day comes, until the fruition of that comes to light, you know God's calling you to this, but you don't know how you're going to get there. In the meantime, keep doing what God has gifted you to do. Listen, it took 13 years before God planted the seed for me to pastor this church until it came to pass. What did you do for the 13 years? I just sat there. No, I kept doing what God had given me to do. I kept serving my country in the Air Force, and then I kept preaching and teaching as God gave opportunity. Just stay busy is what I'm saying. So let's not look at these men and just think that they're some kind of major backsliders because they're going fishing. Listen, they're not kicked back with straw hats on listening to the radio. All right? Now, we may not know the exact reason why these men went back to their fishing business, but we can see the result of Peter's decision to go fishing, and I believe that's more important than the why in this context. What is the result of what has taken place? Not necessarily why did they go fishing, but what took place as a result. And I want you to understand, I want you to notice here, the impact of leadership. Do you see that in verse 3? It says, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing... They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. We see the impact that leadership has. Though Peter had forsaken the Lord by denying Him three times on the night of Jesus' trial, he obviously still possessed considerable sway over the other disciples. And I would never seek to justify Peter's denial of Christ, so take what I'm about to say the right way, but at least he was present long enough to deny the Lord. I don't remember the other ones being there. Whoop! What is good preaching this morning, amen? Where were the others that night? I, listen, he was still wrong. But the other ones weren't even there to be asked, aren't you one of them? Anyway, I just feel like saying, I guess today I'm just going to all be about, uh, what's the matter with people? Amen. And so Peter, he was a leader among these men. And when Peter said, I'm going fishing, they all said, yep, we'll go with you. And this is why leaders in the church must be walking right because others will observe and they will follow. It's interesting that we've landed on this thought because I just had a conversation recently with someone about leadership in the church and how people do watch. Some for the right reasons. Some not so much for the right reasons. The truth is, there is a leadership observance which takes place in all walks of life, secular and spiritual, whether we like it or not. For those of you who are bosses, you know that your subordinates are watching you. I can remember while in the military, 
seeing leaders get fired for what lower-ranking individuals may only get a slap on the wrist for. Why? Because there is a higher expectation with leadership. This is why the Bible has leadership requirements for pastors and deacons and their wives. With positions of responsibility come greater expectations. And even though those requirements are given for leadership positions within the church, I believe all Christians should be reaching for those standards. Because none of them are hard. Can I remind you that the Bible says God's commandments are not grievous? They're not heavy. They're not burdensome to bear. It's something we ought to embrace. It's something we should be able to do without complaining about it. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. We should not view leadership as something grievous, but we should view it as an opportunity to be impactful for Christ. Because people will look to leadership to see whether or not they are in submission to God, to see whether or not what they preach is true in their own lives. Pastors should expect people to watch their marriage, to see whether or not they are falling apart, to see whether or not they're still going strong after 25 years or not. Is his marriage a picture of Christ and the church? I know people are watching our lives, but I take that as an opportunity to be able to demonstrate godliness and the validity of God's Word. Listen, it's not that I'm going to be perfect. You need to understand that. I'm going to make mistakes. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. She's already mentioned that this morning. But is it evidenced in my life that God's Word is true? And in the life of my family? Listen, I know people look at pastors' kids. They want to see whether or not the principles in Proverbs are true. Is everybody with me this morning? You know, you know Proverbs says wisdom is justified over children. Am I ruling my own house well with my children in subjection with all gravity? And on this note, whether it's self-imposed or not, whether it's parent-imposed by some or not, pastor's children feel the pressure of being a pastor's kid. It's an interesting fraternity and it's one that I'm glad to be a part of. There have been times my children have asked me something like, why do people look at me different and analyze all that I do differently than others? And I try to assure them that people are watching everybody because most people are natural busybodies and don't know how to mind their own business. Hey, man. Now, Adrian and I have always stressed to our children, you ought to live godly not because you're a pastor's kid, but because you are God's child. Whoop. And listen, that's what all God's children should try to do. We should desire to live godly because it's the right thing to do by God, not the right thing to do by other people. Although it is right to do for other people, but you understand what I'm saying. We ought to do that because that's what God expects and we're His child. Now, look, children are eventually going to make their own decisions. I don't think pastors should be held accountable for the sinful decisions they make after they've moved out of the house. That's just my opinion. It may be a reflection, it may not. Some are going to make some decisions after they leave the home we don't agree with. But while in the home, it ought to be a different story. Let me remind you that Jesus did everything right, but Judah still betrayed him. Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect environment and they still sinned. In the end, the only person you can control is yourself. You can't control your spouse. But you have to be honest about your criticism when it comes to other people. And especially those in leadership. Just because you may not agree with something 
doesn't mean that it's wrong. That's right. Therefore, your criticism may be unfounded. I asked for permission to do this, but take my daughter, for example. She's 18 now. Blows my mind. She's 18. She's now engaged to be married to Grant Sullivan. But the criticism and the cynicism that ends up coming forth is, well, they're too young. Really? Where's that at in the Bible? You see, we have our own convictions about things and we project that on others and say, no, 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 that's, not, that's never going to work. Why? What Bible do you have? Well, what do they know about life at that age? They probably know the same amount that I did when I was engaged to be married at 17 and only waited a year because our parents asked us to. And listen, here's the thing. When their lights go out in their apartment, they'll realize we should have paid our bills. (laughs) Amen. I mean, listen, some things you just learn along the way. Say, well, they don't know enough. I know they don't know enough. You know how much I knew about pastoring when you voted me in? Zero. I'm still learning by experience. That's life. We're having fun, aren't we? Well, I just don't think they're ready. Well, that's good because you're not the one getting married. What can you show me from the Bible that constitute when somebody's ready to be married? I believe they need to be of the same faith. Now, I'm using this as an example because I know you are watching. I'm not against that. They may be, but I'm not. I can tell you that they both have obeyed their parents. They have done everything right so far. And if that changes, I'm breaking somebody's neck. And listen, good night. They've been together for a year and a half already. Our desire was for them to wait to be engaged until after graduation. Well, it took Grant less than 72 hours, but <laughs> bless God, they waited till after graduation. Amen. I go to the Memorial Day picnic, and here comes Sydney wearing a bride-to-be shirt. I'm like, what? <laughs> now, listen, you see something you want, go get it. Amen. Praise God. I'm actually proud of the guy. You must be thinking, boy, you must really approve of Grant. No, not really. I just hate Sydney's cat. And I can't wait for that cat to be out of the house. And any marriage is worth that. In all seriousness, I want you to know that uh, they have my full support. I believe they are two godly young people just seeking to start a life out together. And they don't need to hear your criticisms. So maybe you should just try edifying. Listen, just because you had a bad experience or know someone who did have a bad experience, it doesn't mean that other people will. Some people say stupid things like, well, I bet she's just ready to leave home. Do you live in my home? Then shut up. Why is she ready to leave home? Because I put up with that cat? Because her room's always a mess and I don't really get onto her about it? Okay, my wife said cut it. I mean, what is there to leave? A free ride? All right, anyway. Uh, Listen, by the way, that's the natural thing to do. 
The Bible says that a man is to leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. That is a biblical thing. If there's a desire to leave, to be married, that's just fine so long as things are being done right without a rebellious spirit. As I said, I was engaged at 17, married at 18, but so many people tried to project their bad experiences onto us. And all I heard from friends and coworkers was, you'll be divorced in six months. This is the stupidest thing you could ever do. Why? Because they had terrible experiences. But what was wrong with praying for God to bless me with a wife and then marrying the one that He answered that prayer with? We've had four young marriages performed by our church since I became pastor. And by the grace of God, all four of those couples are still faithfully serving. Do you know our bus ministry is being operated by two young married couples? Both of which had 18-year-olds as a spouse when they got married. Listen, they're doing more than most of you are doing, so don't give me that whole well, age thing. Listen, it's not age, it's maturity. So I would say to Grant and Sydney, I would say to all of our young married people, I'd say to all of our young people, don't let anybody despise your youth. You find God's will and you do it. Listen, and always remember this, haters gonna hate. Hey, man. All right, I just need to get that off my chest. Let's get back on track here. To our leaders in this church, I just want to say, take your leadership position as an opportunity to lead and demonstrate godliness in this present evil world. So who are you talking about when you say leaders in church? You know who you are. You're the ones teaching classes. Amen? You're the one operating ministries. You're the ones serving food downstairs. You're the ones that are faithfully doing this and doing that. Listen, people are looking to you. Don't get bitter over the fact that others are following you and observing your life. What an opportunity to impact other people. We have an opportunity to be a great testimony to others. This is why it is important how you conduct yourself. How you dress. Where you go. What you say. This is why it's important. Why? Because people are watching. Peter said, I'm going fishing. They go, oh, we're going with you. And this is why leaders ought not to try to stretch the boundary. But stay within the guardrails that are in place. And if you don't follow the standards of the Bible, and if you don't follow the standards of the church, then are you really ready to be in leadership? You need to get your heart right. And listen, if your family's falling apart, you're not ready to be in leadership. Or you're not ready to continue in it, one of the two. I'm not against rough patches and rocky times, but those ought to be times where we can say, you know what, y'all just need to go take a trip, get this fixed, come back and let's get back with it. Why? Because people are watching. As leaders, you live in a fishbowl. I used to think that was a bad thing, and now I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing for people to watch a marriage stay together. It's a good thing to watch young people come to the altar pure when they say, I do. Those are good things. See it as an opportunity to show forth Christ instead. Now let me bring this into your home. Husbands and fathers, God has called you to be the leader of your home. Do you hear what I'm saying? Your wife is watching you. Your children are watching you. Moms, your children are watching you. 
because I want you to understand this as I, as I bring this to a close. Your children will follow somebody's leadership. Whether it's good or bad, they're going to follow somebody. Who do you want them to follow? Take your leadership role seriously, demonstrate godliness, and then live God's Word out. Listen, if you've already made mistakes, which all of us have, there's no perfect parent, there's no perfect kid. And if we've made some mistakes along the way, listen, it's never too late to start doing right. Amen. Amen. Own up to your errors, confess your sins, then drive a stake in the ground and say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know how to do it. That's why we're here. We want to help you. And if others choose the wrong path, at least you should live in a way where you have a clear conscience before God that you did the right thing and that they made their own selfish wrong decision. Peter went fishing. Others followed him. And as we'll see next week, as a result of Peter's leadership, that is often lambasted, but as a result of his leadership, these men got to partake of one of the greatest experiences after Christ's resurrection. I want to tell you this morning, keep leading. Keep leading. Don't get bitter. Let people watch. Let them see a life which demonstrates righteousness and godliness. That's how we'll impact. Would you pray with me, please?